Are you looking to get into music? Are you looking to learn an instrument? Are you looking to refine your music skills? Then you need Emily Taylor Music. Emily Taylor runs one-on-one or small group lessons available in Chermside on Brisbane's north side. She is high quality in professional tuition in voice, piano, and guitar. It's never too late to start, so all ages and abilities are welcome. You could be just as good as Machinery Hill, or even better. To get in contact, shoot her an email at emilytaylormusic at gmail.com. Hello all, Matt from Back Yourself Fitness here. How are we all doing? Um, Just thought I'd jump in before the podcast starts. It's a bit strange that I'm giving myself an intro to something that happened in my life, but bear with me. If you've downloaded the podcast, if you've streamed the podcast, you know what you're in for in this episode. Machinery Hill Part 3, How It Ended. I'm not here to talk about the podcast. I'm here to talk about something else. Very, very exciting. So, maybe two, three months ago, I was teasing that we had an announcement, a very, very big announcement that we couldn't share with you just yet. And things were going great. Things were all on track. And then coronavirus hit and it threw everything into a big spin. Now that coronavirus has eased, we've got things back on track behind the scenes. And now I can let everyone know what's going on. So if, you're download, if you've downloaded or streamed this episode of the podcast, you are finding this out before anyone else, before we've even announced it on our socials. The announcement is, at the end of July 2020, so as of recording, that's we're in the start of July now, end of July 2020, both the Brackenridge and Aspley Back Yourself Fitness Studios will be closed. No more. Finished. The reason we're closing them is because we're merging both studios into one gym. The Back Yourself Fitness Gym will be launched and will be up and running by the start of August. So Sam and I will both be operating out of the same space. This space is massive. We have full facilities. We're looking to get other health professionals in there as well. So not necessarily other trainers, but I'm talking Pilates or yoga or massage. All these things that we're ironing out as we speak. But the announcement is August 2020, the Back Yourself Fitness Gym will be launched. You'll see all the details pop up on social media. We're going to be given a good smash. But this is exciting. This is what we've worked for the past three years towards. It's going to be the biggest mountain so far that we were we are we've had to climb, but this is the biggest step, and this is always the plan. And I can't wait. Sam can't wait. I know our clients can't wait to move into a new premise, premises even. So the news is, July 2020, end of the month, both PT studios will be closed, and we are merging both into the Back Yourself Fitness Gym. Fair to say. We have backed ourselves. Hey guys, Matt from Back Yourself Fitness here and welcome to another episode of the Back Yourself Podcast. Here we are, part three of the Machinery Hill story. Um, We are moving into the end unfortunately um thank you for all the listens that we we've got so far on the first two parts if you haven't already subscribed please go back and subscribe to the back yourself podcast so you don't miss out on anything that we do any episodes that we put 
out. We have plenty more guests coming up this year, plus I'm going to be shooting the shit sometimes by myself. All good quality, right? Right. Uh, let me catch you up on what we've gone through in episodes, pause, or not episodes, part one and two. So part one was how we started off as a band, uh, cover stuff, then we merged into original music with a few cover gigs, recorded our own album, uh, travelled down to Sydney, Byron, did some recording in Brisbane itself. And then in the previous episode, we looked at a few gigs that we played, including both our single launch and our album launch, the album Get On Top and the single Roll Down. Jump back and listen to part one and two so you are caught up on the full story so far. Now, I left episode, oh, I keep saying episode. I left part two at the end of 2010. And I said 2010 and 2012 were our biggest years. So now we're rolling into 2011, much like the previous two episodes, parts, episodes, come on self. Um, we had, what did I have? I had Furphy sponsored the first part. I had Green Beacon on the second part. And today I'm, I'm drinking your mates up the coast, your mates brewing, I'm drinking the Sally. So if you got a drink, go for it. Have a big sip before we start. <sighs> Love Sally. Delicious. All right. So 2011. So in the second part, I spoke about the band comp that we entered in that was probably one of our biggest gigs that wasn't one of our launches. Uh, we actually entered in another band comp in 2011. I can't remember the exact details of it, but the winners or the top three people or something like that got to play at Caloundra Music Fest in 2011. So that was massive. Like that's that's a festival. We hadn't played at a festival before, so we were we were pumped to get the chance to hopefully play at Caloundra Music Fest. Uh, we made it through the gigs. We got to the top three or the top two or whatever it was. I can't exactly remember. So we got to play at Caloundra Music Fest 2011, which is like that was wild for us. We were, we were high five and like, this is sick. And we'd planned to stay up there. And obviously, it's a sunny coast, it's beautiful. Were we headliners? No. Were we on the main stage? No. Were we on at a good time? Also, no. But we can say that we play Caloundra Music Fest, and I've got a stubby cooler, or you could have got shirts or hats or whatever with the full lineup and there's Machinery Hill on the same lineup as Empire of the Sun, the Jezebels, Thirsty Merc, Eskimo Joe, Missy Higgins and Blue Juice all listed beside Machinery Hill. So I will take that to the bank any day of the week. It was the obviously the biggest festival we played. I believe it was only one of two festivals we played. Don't quote me on that. But the experience and, like, as I said, the, just the noteworthiness of playing at Caloundra Music Fest, we were high-fiving. Like, that's, that's fucking sick. Uh, 2011 wasn't overly huge compared to the massive 2010 that we had. Now, I'm not selling 2011 short by any stretch, but you got to remember, we in 2010, we launched our debut single. We launched, launched our debut album, this thing that we'd been working for years literally for years getting prepped and recorded and going through the whole process of saving money and working and cover gigs and shit to fucking get this album out and we finally got it out and like I've mentioned in the previous parts we do this massive thing be it single launch or 
Calandra Music Fest or album launch or whatever. And I was kind of like, okay, what do we do now? We, 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 it was just like, okay, back to band life, back to cover gigs. Yay. You know what I mean? So it was that little bit of a hangover feeling for us. So I'm not writing off 2011 at all, but compared to 2010, it wasn't the most eventful year. Uh, unfortunately, one of the substantial things that happened in 2011 was, was negative for the band. Um, we were almost home from a gig from a road trip up to Maryborough and Harvey Bay. And I, like, I remember it, there was four, the four of us, there was four of us in the car. I think it was us original three members and Lukey. And we were almost at Scotty's place when he was living, living, uh, out at Evident Hills. And, uh, he, Lukey told us he had to leave and it was a shock. And the, the three original members of myself, Scott and Jay, so oh no, not again. I mean, we'd been through this before. We've had guitarists leave. Uh, it was just that, oh, fuck, like knock the wind out of the sails kind of feeling. Uh, you know, when you think about it, it was understandable. Lukey was a couple of years older than us. Um, he was at that point, that crossroads that we all came to where it was like, okay, is this second job beneficial? Is it worth it? Or do I need to focus on my career and keep moving forward in that way? Plus, he was playing in his his acoustic outfit uh, with his brother-in-law, like I mentioned in part two. So he still had that musical release. Um, I like I personally believe that Lukey was the first one to come to that fork in the road. I know I came to... Excuse me, that fork in the road. Um, Scotty, I know, came to it as well. Uh, it's that fork in the road of, is this going to work or do I need to reassess? I'm talking to Lukey about it, and I want to actually quote him word for word here. So I've just copied and pasted what Lukey actually said. So this is what Lukey said. What people don't understand about Machinery Hill is that it's incredibly easy to get into, but very difficult to get out of. I think I turned up for the audition at the practice room one week and just kept coming back each week after that. In comparison, the decision to quit, the decision to quit the band was that one of the hardest decisions I've ever had to make in my life. So you, we, we just had this camaraderie and I can understand where Lukey was coming from. Like I went through that feeling when I was like, I got to pull stumps as well. It's, yeah, yeah, it's a second job, yes, but you're doing something you love. You get to put your product of music out there, this shit that you've been working so hard on. You get to show it off to people and be like, fuck yeah, like I'm playing my song. And then you realize if it's not working or not not working, but if you can't afford to be investing that much time and effort into it, if it's not returning, that fork in the road's a motherfucker to try and to, to discuss internally and then bring it to the group. We had two options as a band. Do we sulk or do we push on? So, of course, the remaining four members pushed on into 2012. Like I said, there wasn't, like, I'm sure the other boys could probably think of gigs that we had in 2011, but for me, nothing really stands out in that time. We pushed on into 2012 and we landed a massive, massive support slot supporting the Potbellies. And the gig was in February 2012, so we're starting the year off. We're a four-piece, but we also had the advantage because we'd recorded the album, we could play with the subtle backing track in one of the previous parts I spoke about, like the sound bed, where you know we record like keyboards and shit and tambourines and claps or ass slaps. So it f gave us a fuller sound um, 
So yes, Lukey was gone, but we did have the advantage of using that subtle sound bed track or backing track or whatever you want to call it to really fill the sound out again. Um, it was another high-profile gig, and we put on another great show. The room was pretty full, so we got a good like we got a great reaction, which was a fucking well-needed confidence boost for the band. I think it was I think it was very important for us in hindsight to nail that gig and we did like we, we fucking played well we had to nail that gig with four members just so we knew we could do it because this was our first real big gig without Lukey on board so it was important to fucking nail it to prove to ourselves that we could do it you know what I mean like I'm not taking anything away from Keno. Keno fucking did his job perfectly every single time and knowing that he could get through the gig without Lukey's rhythm guitar underneath him sweet that, that was well needed and we still had the energy on stage because i know scotty and lukey would bounce bounce off each other when we're on stage a bit so it was good that we could we could punch that gig out um i lost my spot here we go i'm pretty sure or i could be completely wrong the hamo hotel the hamilton hotel so that's where we supported the potbellies suggested us machinery hill to a certain manager about another support slot so we got the call. Do you guys want to support Daryl Braithwaite? Um, a fuck yes. Now, we were pumped. <laughs> Understatement pumped. And it was probably, probably the fastest we've ever sold tickets to a show. Little side story. Ironically, whenever we go watch a mate's band play, cover gig, acoustic gig, originals gig, whatever, we would always... We, I would definitely do it, uh, but Scotty and the other boys and Keno and Jace would do it as well and a couple of our mates, we would always yell, play horses, because it was just one of those pub songs that you know you're going to get requested at cover gigs, so it was kind of tongue-in-cheek, like, oh yeah, play horses, and here we are now supporting Mr. Horses himself, Daryl Braithway. Um, it, it, was, it, was, it was a bit of a, a mindfuck, like it was... We couldn't really believe we were doing it. Once again, like Daniel Jones was in Sydney, like the Potbellies were. Mate, Daryl Braithwaite is just a normal dude, hey. Um, it, it was really cool. It was a really cool experience. So this was the 1st of June in 2012. I know I've jumped like four months. Bear with me. Um, the venue was packed. The Hamilton Hotel was packed wall to wall. Uh, and we got invited into Daryl. I'm going to call him Daryl. Into Daz's green room. And I remember being confused because there was like food and drink out on the table, like obviously his rider or whatever. And we're like, uh, so do we, are we allowed to, are we eating? Do we get a drink? Are we, uh, no, okay, we'll just stand, we'll just stand here. Um, funny story on that in a second. Anyway, after standing there awkwardly for a few minutes and having polite chat, we told it off uh, because it was getting close to go time. So we had to do, I don't know, like our warm up. I would, my warm up wasn't really a warm up. I would just pick a hard part of the song, belt it out, whether it be in the toilet or, you know, just in the hallway or whatever and go, yep, sweet, here we go. The amount of times I've crossed paths with people and they're like, oh, hey, mate. It's like, oh, sorry, I'm just getting warm. I'm, we're about to go on. Anyway, we nailed that gig. It was our style of music, like personified, supporting Daryl Braithway, the fact that we were a covers band and the style of music we played just fit perfectly we were, we were right in the zone for everyone who was there to see Daryl Braithway we were pub rock the people there were there to see pub rock music it was yeah it was spot on 
we put on a great show, obviously got a great reaction, um, so much so that Daryl Braithway himself asked us after the gig if we wanted to support him the following night at a different pub. We're like, holy oh, shit, of course. Like, we didn't really know what to say. Obviously, we said yes, but it was like, oh, shit, okay, we've just played this gig. Now we've got to rein it in because now we're playing again tomorrow night and we're going we're to go full tilt again tomorrow night. Yes, at the gig on the first night, on the Friday night, I believe, I did hear several people yell out, play horses as, as we were playing. So yes, it, it still happened even at the gig. Uh, the next night, Daryl Braithway, Daryl, Daz, whatever, stood side of stage and actually watched us play. He even took photos of, photos of us playing and he emailed them to us. He's like, oh, here you go, boys. Like, I took photos of you guys playing last night. I was like, wow. Like, okay, this is a strange experience I never thought would happen. We'd have Daryl Braithway emailing us photos of our gig. Like, thanks, mate. Uh, was it as good as the first night or the previous night? I don't think so. From an um, atmosphere point of view, definitely. It was more of a standoffish kind of like it was a bigger or a wider venue I should say so the people could be further away not wider longer venue so people could be further away than right up close to the stage and the previous night we're on a higher stage so it was yeah just had a different vibe to it but we definitely did our job but we didn't have our usual renter crowd so it wasn't like people were up front like singing along and doing the dance with us and all that kind of stuff so the second night for us really was more of a showcase for our, our music and we got a reaction, got a good reaction after every single song we played. Uh, but yeah, it just wasn't the same vibe as the previous night, but obviously without a renter crowd, it's not going to be the same. Now, remember how I said there was, there was, I was unsure about the food and drink situation. So here's the story I was talking about. I'm going to have a drink, speaking of which. So on the second night, we're at Kalanga, Kalanga the Kalanga Tavern. Um, we're in the band section prior to us getting on and there's this tub of beers like your typical clear display case with ice and like it was a carton of beers in there and we're like yeah sweet so our drummer Jace cracked a beer and one of the guitarists was like oh that's the that's the drummer's beers and I, I can't remember the the, actual, the drummer's name for Daryl's band but let's just say he was his name was Steve so oh that's Steve's beer Sure enough, Steve, the drummer for Daryl Braithwaite, shot Jason the dirtiest look. And he's like, oh, yeah, well, I guess I guess you can have one. I was like, fuck, mate, settle down. There's 24 beers in here and they're crownies. You're not going to drink 24 crownies. But it was just funny. We went from the first night of being unsure if we could actually have stuff the, sec- oh, the first night. Then the second night, same thing happened. We're like, yeah, sweet. Let's have a beer. I don't have my beers. So... It, it was funny that Jace had to make friends very quickly with the drummer for, for Daryl Braithwaite because he stole one of his beers. Uh, in the lead up to these gigs, we'd been working on a new song that Kino brought to the table and we'd booked in to record a new single, which weirdly felt like a step backwards after recording um, an album. So if, like, if the album is the peak of this timeline that I'm talking about, or the chronological order of get together, write music, record single, record album, release album. And so where do you go after release album? Do you release another album? 
oh dear, okay, let's do another single. So it felt like a weird step back or not step, maybe step sideways. But it, anyway, it just didn't have the same, um, fuck yeah, let's let's record this single. And blah, blah, blah. like it, the, the excitement wasn't necessarily as high, I believe anyway. The other guys might say differently. Um, we'd booked into Airlock Studios at Sanford, which is owned by Ian, the rhythm guitarist from Powderfinger, um, that you may have just seen on One Night Lonely, the little YouTube concert they put on. So he was actually playing from the studio that we recorded in. So when it popped up when I was watching it, I was like, oh shit, I've been in that room. Like we recorded one of our songs in that room, which was which was pretty cool. Um, he said g'day in passing and then we all kind of went, oh fuck me, that's old mate from Powderfinger. Like once again, starstruck, but you just do the old, hey mate, how are you? Like, polite stuff it's like oh shit i said g'day to old mate from powderfinger his studio is amazing as you would expect and much like daniel jones in sydney the walls are lined with arias and platinum records and of course we all took photos with the arias fun fact about the aria awards they're heavy and very easy to leave fingerprints on but we made sure we got photos with the Arias. And from memory, I believe well, there's a photo of Kino playing one of the Arias like it's a trumpet. I, I can't remember. But we made sure we got photos with them. Uh, our new song was called Lights. And this was one of the first songs we actually didn't give a silly name to, which I will talk about at the end. Uh, it was catchy. It was short, sharp. It was balls to the wall. And it was right in our zone. It was just... Boom, 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 boom. This is the song, whack, and all of a sudden the song, the song's over. Which, you know, I love that feeling of a song. It's just like, oh, I need to listen to that again. It was, yeah, like I said, it was it was bang on. But when I recorded my vocals, I hated it. Not not the song. The song fucking thumps, but my vocals, I just hated it. And I remember bringing it up to Jace and our producer, Jamie, and they both reassured me that it'll grow on me and it sounds good. And to this day, I dislike my vocals on it. Like I said, the song, like I said, if you, like for me, and this is just my own hang-ups, sure, or my opinion, when I listen to it, I just hear the thing that I don't like. And the music's fucking great. But I just, uh, every time, I don't know what it is. But I don't know. Um, so we recorded Lights in August in 2012. With the single launch locked in for November 2012. This was our last original gig. We just didn't know it. And there was something about that gig, I personally believe, and once again, this is just my personal opinion, uh, I personally believe it was one of the best gigs we've ever played. Like, shit hot gig. We, we were on. But it just didn't have the feeling of the album launch. Uh, as a band, we were firing on all cylinders on the night, but I don't know whether it was that come down that I've, I've spoken about a few times from album to single or because the last time we were in that venue, we were launching our album. Um, maybe there wasn't as many people through the door or may, maybe there was and they just went up the front. Um, I, don't, I don't know. I remember like in my mind, there is a distinct difference between launching our album and launching that last single um but like i said we still we were still fucking on like we were at a point now where we would be on at gigs and we would just we'd go to work and we would put on a good show and we'd punch the songs out and 
yeah, got a good reaction for sure. But I don't know. It was just just the feeling. So we're at the back end um, of uh, 2012 when this gig happens. Enter 2013. So here we are. Have a drink before this starts. I remember making the call. I spoke to our drummer, Jace, on the phone. And I said, I've had enough. I wasn't in the same position as Lukey where I needed to make a decision that was career focus or band focus. But all the promoting, writing, rehearsing, fine-tuning, trying to book gigs, book support acts, hustle, perform, the money we pumped into ourselves and practicing, it felt like we weren't any higher profile than we were when we first started three or four years ago. We'd all improved out of sight as musicians. And I'm going to call myself a musician even though I didn't play any instruments. But I, from a profile point of view, if you said, oh yeah, I play in Machinery Hill, outside of the people that we knew, outside of the bands that we supported, how many people knew our name? How many people knew our songs? That's what I'm talking about. And it's not a knock on us as a band at all. We put on a good show every time and we sounded good. But in terms of had our profile grown to the same height as the amount of time and money we put into it, I don't know. And I, I know like musos could probably listen to this and be like, yeah, well, you've got to really grind and blood, sweat and tears need to go into it and, you know, uh, pick a band, I don't know, let's say Powderfinger. Powderfinger played for played My Happiness for 15 years before it was played on radio or whatever. Yeah, cool, I'm, I hear you. But I think the chronological order that we started, we were doing things, we kind of set ourselves up to fall off a cliff in a weird way. Once again, it's just my opinion. Take it or leave it. And I remember Jay sounding gutted because he, Scotty and myself had been playing together since year 10. So that's 2003. We'd been in the band for 10 years at this point. Um, we were the original, the original members who'd been through three guitarists leaving, two EPs across two bands, underage gigs, album launch, single launch, film clip, country gigs at the Wazoo. Keno gave his heart and soul to Machinery Hill. So needless to say, he was also devastated. But my mind was my mind was made up by that point. I just that's one thing about my personality when I go, nah, um, I'm done. That that's there's no real going back. And if I do go back on that, my heart's just not in it. It's weird how much Scotty and I are on the same wavelength because Scotty's phone call was different. And I don't know if the other guys know this. Sorry, Scotty, throwing you in it. Um, yes, he was devastated that we were going to be ending this 10-year chapter of our lives, but he was also relieved that I'd made the call. And I hope he doesn't mind me saying this, um, but he was feeling the same way I was. We'd never spoken about it. We'd never gone, oh, fuck, we're getting a bit sick of the band or whatever, but we were just on the same page. And fast forward to September 20. Uh, 2013, I've got 2019 down here, 2013, and Scotty married his longtime partner. So fair to say his life was coming to the point where it could have changed direction as well, coming to that fork in the road. Uh, I think we may have played another cover gig. I can't remember. This is a little bit hazy where it's like, I can't remember if we went um, the light single launch and then a cover gig and then I made the decision or 
um, light single launch. I made the decision. Then another cover gig. I, I can't remember. But I remember that Mate Lights wasn't our actual last gig as a band, but it was definitely our last um, original gig. And all I know is the wind was out of our sails and the effort uh, we'd put in had taken its toll. And more often for me, things started to feel like work. Now, we're all putting the same amount of effort in for sure. Like we're all on stage together. We're all doing the thing and we're all juggling. Um, we're all juggling jobs and bits and pieces. But I know for me, like I was trying to hustle and get gigs booked and all that kind of stuff. And I'm not saying that I was booking gigs for us, but I was a fish out of water. I didn't know what the fuck I was doing. So the unknown of, oh, let's do this or let's do this. And we're, we're kind of relying on getting cover gigs to get more money. But we we after lights, we didn't have anything else in the can to record or any like lights was it. We'd, we'd put all our time and effort into playing or recording lights and we we kind of went, yeah, cool, let's put the pen down. Um, I believe uh, Jace, Keno and possibly even Scotty may have played a couple of cover gigs after I left. But once again, don't quote me on that because I was out of the band so I wasn't keeping tabs on, on what was going on. Um, I personally know when I've made the wrong decision because I'll second guess myself until the cows come home. Alternatively... I can also tell when I've made the right decision because it's more like a weight off my shoulders or being at peace with the decision. Uh, And I can tell you I was at peace with the decision and I had no backup plan. Like I wasn't, like I said, I wasn't at the same point that Lukey was at where it was like he had a career locked in or, or Scotty where he was working towards a wedding and like there was no backup plan for me. I was just, I just, I was just done. Um, now for me in 2013, I was brought along to a place where a mate of mine trained, competitive edge training. A few months after training there, the trainer Brent, who would go on to be a mate of mine, offered me a spot as a trainer and the rest is history. So that was our transition or my transition, I should say, from playing music, being the troublemaker, being the front man of a, of a band playing cover gigs into originals and doing our own stuff into what we know now is back yourself fitness. Uh, now, look, looking back on everything here in hindsight is a wonderful advantage. At the time, we had no idea what we were doing. Um, we didn't really always act professionally and I don't think anyone, anyone in the band really thought of the band as a job. But when, you, when we break it down and look back at how the band kind of played out, it was definitely a job, for sure. Uh, what I'm going to do now is I want to go through, once again, in hindsight, some things that I'd like to change, um, things I wish I wish we did differently, things I'm proud of, things I miss. So I'll, I'll go through some stuff now. Um, I want to start. We'll start off with things I'd like to change about Machinery Hill. Firstly, the photo shoots and film clip. I mentioned in the previous part, it just wasn't our personality. Of course, I'm proud of the film clip and the promo photos look great. But I look at them and know how we were between shots or between takes. We were being us and then the camera flicked on. It was like, okay, let's be serious. We're in a band. Blue steel face, everyone. So that's one thing I would change. But that's maturity. Like I can say that now. I wish we put more of our personality into... um, the photo shoots and the film clip and 
all that kind of stuff. Some of the lyrics I listen back to and a little bit cringy, of course, but once again, it was just, I was trying to make the other guys have a laugh or people who heard the lyrics have a laugh. You know, that was, that was our personality. We were always messing around and you could say immature, but we, we, we were, we were switched on, but it was all about having a laugh. You know what I mean? Uh, following on from that, how we dressed. Now, this is the mostly on my head because I was standing at the front. But what I said before, the gigs where we put effort into how we looked as a band versus the everyone in jeans and T-shirts, um, it's like night and day. I look back on the roll-down single launch and the band comp final, and that was our image. And we either, myself or the band, we just didn't clock it, that that's how we should act for every gig or dress for every gig. Now, there's nothing wrong with wearing jeans and T-shirts on stage, but if you want to have that persona of I'm in the band, I'm part of the band, look at me on stage, I'm presenting differently than someone just turning up to the gig, then that's something you need to take into consideration. And it was just a simple thing like throwing on a button-up shirt or a a tie and button-up or a vest or fucking whatever, you know, like... Or one of the guitar, Jace wearing a singlet when he played drums. One of the guitarists wearing a button-up shirt, or you know, just having some kind of effort, I guess. And that's not a dig again. Once again, not a dig on what we did. Uh, one thing I definitely regret, definitely regret, is not having a last gig as Machinery Hill. Not having it known that this was going to be the last time we played. Would it have been emotional for us? Most definitely, 100%, without a doubt. Once once again, the three of us, Jace, Scotty and myself, had played for 10 years together. Keno was part of the fabric. Like, it, it's, it, was, it was that connection that we had. So it would have been emotional going, all right, this is our last gig ever. I hope everyone, I hope people come along and I hope they enjoy what we do and oh, fuck, I hope we play well and, that it's like that's from that's being selfish that's from our point of view but more so to say thanks to everyone who came to see us play our renter crowd was fucking phenomenal from mr international's days from cover gigs all the way through to machinery hill like we had a very loyal fan base and i think that they deserve to have a i don't want to say send off gig but a gig where we got to say thanks and put it on for them and be like, right, these songs are for you. It's not us showing off our songs. It's these are the songs that we've written for you. I hope you like them. In hindsight, again, the amount of money we spent on recording was pretty, pretty high. We flew to Sydney. We drove down past Byron. The last two times we recorded in Brisbane. So we could have stayed local the whole time and saved on airfares and the elite studios, but we chose to do the best of the best. Now, don't get me wrong. I love the experience of the traveling to record and meeting Daniel Jones from Savage Garden and using his equipment. And some of the studios we went into were fucking outrageous. But was it necessary? Maybe not. There's a couple little record, couple of little recording bits that I just don't like. And when I hear certain songs, and I'm not going to say which parts they are, there are just little the tiniest tiny little thing and if you're 
Joe Blow listen to, listening to our song, you wouldn't know it. You wouldn't know that it annoys me or it wouldn't stand out to you, but it's just these little bits in the song that jump out to me. And I wish that I'd kind of spoken up while we were doing it instead of just being that, okay, cool, that, sound, that sounds good. Let's move on to the next thing and just kind of trusting the process. But on the flip side, there's a positive coming with that point as well in a second. Um, some of the song titles. I actually gave a CD to my client, one of my clients the other day, and she's like, oh, my favorite song is number, the second song on the album. I was like, yeah, cool. She's like, it's, it's called Eclipse, yeah? I was like, yeah, yeah, yeah. She's like, you don't say the word Eclipse at all in it. And I was like, no, 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 I don't. And that was because our song titles, I don't know how it started. Fuck, I may have even started it. Um, we all got to kind of name a song and it once it was just to make us laugh. So was it maybe Lukey named Eclipse because it just had this ambient feeling to it. And I remember at band practice, we're at G-Bung band practicing and he's like, um, oh, it's just this ambient feel and I just want to call it like the uh, sunrise or like Eclipse or, uh, and that's where Eclipse came for, from or D-E-C-A. I'm pretty sure that's one of my ones because the um, one of the, the the bridge, the lyrics are, I don't even care anymore. Don't even care anymore, D-E-C-A. Um, call it a night, but the, we did that because that was, all right, guys, after this song, let's call it a night, but let's spell night with a K. I, I don't know. It was just us making ourselves laugh, but the song stuck and then you look at it on an album and it's like, Ah, fuck. <laughs> I wish we, uh, I wish we'd kind of changed that and done and done the serious band thing at that point when we were putting them on the on the CD cover. Speaking of the CD, the biggest thing I wish we could change, and this is gonna sound bad, but I will explain. The album. We didn't need to do it. I feel like we should have gone single launch, great, then a Machinery Hill EP. Our four best songs, five best songs, leave people wanting more. I, it would have been a stronger, more beneficial, more financially smart decision. And then there's no drop-off like I've spoken about of album launch. And then now what are we doing? I, I, I can say this in hindsight, but we were just making it up. I, I feel like it would have been stronger for us musically, financially, and like time-wise as well, we could have had that EP out and fuck, we could have done a second EP. We could have done a third EP. There was, n- there was nothing stopping us from doing that, but it gave us the freedom to pick our best songs, pick our strongest songs. We had 12 songs on the in total, I think, or on the album. No, 12 songs in total. And that was including the songs that we brought from Mr. Internationals. There was enough for an album, yes, but we didn't need to record all of them. It was almost like we were pushing to fill the album up. So it was like, well, all the songs have to go on. We didn't really have enough material to cut songs and add songs because we literally just recorded almost all the songs that we had. We, Like I said, we could have recorded our four strongest and the others could have been kept as live songs or keep them for follow-up EPs. It would have given us creative freedom. Now, like now, once again, I'm super proud that we did the album and I get to hold it and show it off and be like, boom, check out, 
what we did, motherfuckers, when we were playing in a band. But I would, in hindsight, again, fucking magic word for this episode, I would would have liked to go a different route, release an EP, try and land support slots with bands so we get our name out there more. Recording an album and releasing an album isn't getting our name out as much as playing in more band comps. Our two biggest, or one of our biggest gigs was through band comps. Uh, support slots, just try and get any support gigs and just fucking play our music. Then we could have recorded live versions of our songs and put them on YouTube so people had to go to YouTube and they could watch us play like in a recording room watch us play the song and they could hear the song through YouTube once again this is pre-Spotify so that could have been a more beneficial route for us I know that sounds like there's a that's a lot of stuff that I want to change I've had a while to think about these things and look back and I'm not poo-pooing anything that we did but these are all tweaks that we could have made and the band could have gone for longer. The band could have gone for shorter as well, but you can only judge off that magic word again, hindsight. Some things I don't miss from the band. This is only a short list. The setup and the pack up. Oh, it was the worst. Granted, by the time pack up rolled around, especially for cover gigs, we were just like, fuck it. Let's just chuck it in and we'll deal with it when we're setting up um, for the next gig. I remember back in the Mr. Inter- original Mr. International's days, this is way, way long ago, we had this shitty old toolbox to put, I think Scotty's old toolbox, as the lead box, all the mic leads and guitar leads and speaker leads and all that kind of shit. And we would get to end of gigs and if we'd all had a couple of drinks, we would literally just unplug it from the mixer put it in a ball and put it in the box. Then you'd get to the next gig and you'd open the box and go to grab one lead and this big knotted Christmas light looking fucking thing would come out of the lead box and you go, oh no, fuck. So I or the drive to gigs as well. Or even, I didn't drive, but the travel to gigs. So for cover gigs especially, the setup and pack up fucking sucked. Uh, the lifestyle took its toll for sure. Uh, once again, I don't know how guys like Scotty and Jace were apprentices and then turn up to band practice. Fuck that noise. Like if you told me now while I'm running my PT studio, if after I finish PTs at 6.30, 7 o'clock at night, I have to go to band practice for three, four hours? Nah, you can keep that. That's ridiculous. Um, so fuck more power to them. That's, that's, that's commitment. But the lifestyle of, you know, playing two gigs a weekend it felt like work the writing the recording the uh, promoting all that shit like i said it just it felt like work sometimes we made decisions without thinking things over but that was our immaturity i.e see the song titles um some band practices were a waste you know if someone was in a shit mood or um if we were doing that writing process that I spoke about in one of the previous parts and we just tried to fucking jam something out and it wasn't clicking. You just end up wasting an hour. But all band practices can't be perlers. These are all little tweaks. So I know, I know. Um, Here we go. Things that I miss or I enjoyed the most. The feeling of being on stage, either covers or originals, 
and having a crowd hanging on every note you hit, every song you sing, every beat of the drum, every chord, every power chord on the guitar and bass guitar. There you go, Scotty. Um, obviously, with originals, it amplifies that feeling because it's your creation. Having a crowd stand there and be fully engaged listening to you play your songs, showing them off. Look at the hard work that we've done. I hope you like them as much as we do. Boom. That was that was a wild feeling. Cover gigs as well, obviously. When you're playing well-known songs, the crowd obviously gets up and, up and about. But when you get to do it for originals and you're playing songs that people have never heard before and you're getting a similar reaction, phew, that's something else. Um, the next one I've got to kind of explain. The fuck yeah feeling. Now, what, what is the fuck yeah feeling? So when you know you've played a good song or you've added a new bit to, to a song or you do something hard that you've never done before or where like a song just drives, boom, 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 it, it makes you go, fuck yeah, that's cool. And that's the style of music I listen to now. If it makes me go, fuck yeah, that's, that's what I look for. So in our songs... And this will go into the next point. In our songs, when I listen to the album, there are things that I am so incredibly proud of. And I'm not going to share with anyone what parts they are, whether it be something that Scotty played or the, the beat that Jace was doing or um, for Kino's solo or one of Lukey's sneaky rhythm things or something we did in the backing track that I can just hear because I remember we did it and I remember that feeling of, Fuck yeah, that was that's that's what I'm talking about. The things that there's self-indulgent. There's a couple of things that I did, which I didn't think I could do, and some of them are the lead track, some of them are backing vocals. But I just hear it every time, and I'm like, fuck that. I'm incredibly proud of that work that we did. Um, in the same vein, going back to gigs. I don't know if it was the same for other guys, but there's this special little moment after you finish a song. It's a split second, but in that split second, it's silence. You don't know whether the crowd's going to cheer, give you golf claps, or yell out, play horses, or just say nothing. It's just that split second, and it's that feeling of, oh, fuck, are they going to cheer for us? And then the second later, they do. And every time we played an original song, every song, every original gig, I would have that feeling. We'd hit the last note, and there's just this beautiful split second of silence and you're waiting and bang there it is the crowd either golf claps or in the case of our launches or Daryl Braithwaite going off so that that was a very special feeling and I don't know if the other guys felt it but it's definitely being up the front uh, it was a very special feeling of course of course the friendships along the way um, Scotty is one of if not my best mate um, there's a couple of people from our usual crowd who I'd put in the same category from Scotty. Uh, and the fact that they turned up whenever we had a gig and supported what we did is pretty amazing. Um, I'm, and I'm not taking anything away from the other guys in the band too. Like we just had this great connection of, we just tried to make each other laugh and have fun. And fuck, we'd always pick on one of us and the other guys would laugh. And then if you're getting picked on, you try and turn it around and shift the blame to something. Yeah. And imagine driving to country gigs or when we drove to Airlie Beach, it was 14 hours or whatever it was of doing that. So those little relationships are, yeah, things that you cherish. Um, speaking of the rent crowd, we had loyal fans. I've mentioned that several times. They made Machinery Hill shirts 
just because we asked them to. They learnt the dance for roll down because we asked them to. Just good people. And they were just genuinely keen to hear us play. And they could have yelled, play horses till the cows come home. And they could have heckled us. Like if I listened to live recordings that I've got, yes, there's heckle in there. But everyone's there to see us play. And it was pretty special. Um, One of their biggest ones is making each other laugh, the guys in the band. I've said a heap of times, that's what we did most. We try and get a kick out of each other. It doesn't matter if it was like you and one other person or you and the four of us. Um, You'd always just try and get a laugh out of the other person. I found old videos off a phone from, I don't know how long it was. And it was like 10 second videos of us being just stupid. And other people would look at it and be like, what the fuck are you guys doing? But we'd get a great kick out of it. And I even got a laugh watching them the other day as well because it takes me back to what we were doing in that day or that moment or that road trip or that gig or whatever. So just getting a kick out of each other and making the dance to roll down and all that kind of shit. Uh, The experience itself. Fuck being in a pub playing music from 15 and 16 all the way from uh, the very beginning where we played to one person through to playing our own music to a full house, launching our own album. Um, yeah, that's, a, that's an incredible experience. How many people at 15 and 16 could say, oh yeah, I play two cover gigs a week in pubs and this is what we did and insert explicit detail here. Um, the, the travel and the different people you come across, doesn't matter where it was, we could always find a way to make it fun but I guess that's, the, that's part of being 15, 16, 17, 18. Uh, would I go back to it now? I honestly don't know. It'd be hard trying to juggle our lives now with playing in a band. That's for sure. Like I said two seconds ago, if you asked me to practice for three hours, four hours after I finish my normal work, that's tough. That's very tough. Um, would I go back to four-hour cover gigs? Fuck no. Absolutely not. They they are tough. Four-hour gigs, man. More power to your pub bands. That, that's, that's hard slog. Um, I'm grateful for every experience we had, both good and bad. Shit, I remember Scotty and I had a massive argument after a gig at King Arroy. We didn't speak for weeks, but it was immature and alcohol-related. But it helped us grow, and we fucking shook hands and moved on with our lives, and we're thick as thieves now. Like I said, he's one of my best mates. Um, sometimes I think if Lockie didn't bring that guitar to school that day, I would have never been invited to band practice if I didn't bump or if we didn't bump into Sue 58 at Caxton Seafood Fest back in 2007 or 2006 or whenever the fuck it was. We wouldn't have found another band as keen as us to have fun as us or as keen to have fun as we were and we wouldn't have met Lukey. Or if our old guitarist didn't leave, we wouldn't have placed that guitar, guitarist wanted ad and we wouldn't have met Kino. We've had a lot of sliding door moments and I'm pretty happy things happen the way they did so there it is that's the machinery hill story i hope i did it justice for the guys that obviously played in the band but who came to see us as well um i would like to extend a massive thank you to everyone who's listened to me self-indulge for the past three episodes it's been a real trip down memory lane for me and a couple of the guys in the band and a couple of people who've seen us play a handful of times um yeah, I really hope people got a little kick out of this or an insight into my life before fitness or what playing in the music scene was like. Um, 
yeah, I, I hope people got something out of this. I really do. I also want to extend a thank you to anyone who came to see Machinery Hill play, anyone who bought a CD or who got given a CD. I know Lado's got about seven of them because he keeps getting gifts from me and they're always Machinery Hill CDs. Um, yeah, we we really, well, without you guys, it, we wouldn't have been playing. We wouldn't have had the money to um, record the so- or record the album. And if we did have the money to record the album, we would have had no one to show it off to. So massive thank you to every single person who came to see Machinery Hill play. Yeah, pretty wild trip. Um, for the guys in the band, and that's all the guys from Lockie and Dylan, our original guitarists, to um, the 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 next lineup, which was Kino and um, Lukey with Jay Scott and myself, to finishing up with the four of us. Boys, it was, like I said before, it was a trip. And I look back on those times and the things that I remember the most are um, having a laugh, having a laugh in between photo shoots and having a laugh after a gig or before a gig, going to get dinner before a gig and just making ourselves laugh or amusing ourselves at recording and just having fun. So, boys, I hope I did this talk justice uh, I appreciate the time that we had together in Machinery Hill. I really do. Um, just for Scotty, mate, just remember, back yourself. Don't attack yourself, okay? Uh, personal joke. Uh, all right, so that brings us to the end of this episode, part three, um, Machinery Hill story. There it is, hey? Uh, if you're having a crack in a band, you just got to back yourself. All right, see you in the next episode. <laughs>